You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to CXMH. My name is Dr. Holly Oxhandler, and I am one of your hosts, and I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Robert Four. Hey, Robert. Hey, Holly. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here as well. I think our yeah. listeners are have a, such a treat with today's episode. So without further ado, I will shift right uh-huh. in and jump right in to our conversation. So today we have Dr. Regina Chow Trammell. She is a professor in the Master of Social Work program at Azusa Pacific University. She has years of experience in psychiatric and medical social work settings and has been in private practice for over a decade. She is an avid mindfulness practitioner, has academic research publications on Christian mindfulness, a popular TEDx talk on mindfulness, and she co-wrote A Counselor's Guide to Christian Mindfulness, Engaging the Mind, Body, and Soul in Biblical Practices and Therapies with Zondervan and HarperCollins Christian. Dr. Trammell, I am so, so excited to have you here today. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I just love um, your podcast and the work that you both have been doing for many, many years. Appreciate you both. We are honored. And it's just, I mean, I know, yeah, we were just talking before hitting record that, you know, this is certainly a a long overdue um, episode and we're really, really glad to have you on the show and just excited for, you know, our chat today. Absolutely. Is there anything that um, we missed in your fancy bio there that you want to share? <laughs> no, I'm a mom. I have two kids. I have a graduating senior, believe it or not. So, no. oh, yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> so, no. Yes, oh. insane. Wow. So, I've definitely yeah. been practicing a lot of Christian mindfulness to get <laughs> prepared for my separation because I have a lot of parental separation anxiety about my son leaving home. But otherwise, <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you. And I'm, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting season as as we talked about even before record. So yeah, 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 for sure. That that's a lot of transition um, to, to be navigating for sure. And I mean, my reaction to you mentioning that he's getting ready to go to college is um, in part because just for our listeners to kind of know as a little bit of a backstory that um, you had actually gotten your PhD from um, the Garland School of Social Work yes. at Baylor University. So um, I had the privilege of getting to have you as a student at That's one right. point early on. And so, so it's I-, I remember those pictures of him so little. And Aww. so, yeah, hearing yes. that he's getting ready to go to college is like, oh, my gosh. Right? That's wild to me. Yeah. It's going to be your kids soon, Holly. Oh, Buckle gosh. up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We're not quite ready, but, you know, <laughs> yes. now that it is, know. it's terrifying. It's so far away. I know. Right, when you said it the first time, really. I was like, oh, gosh, because I have two kids smaller you, than Holly's kids. And I was like, no, oh. it sounds, I can I only imagine. I already have some parental anxiety, I think, thinking about right? them, like, going into the world. So, yeah. Yes. We'll need a podcast episode on parental separation anxiety. That's awesome. <laughs> there you go. I love it that. Is. We're going to add that to our list, Robert, as soon as we get off this chat. I love it. Well, um, I would love, so, so as folks could hear, as I was talking about a little bit within the bio, like you've done quite a bit of work around this area of Christian mindfulness and 
Um, I elevated a handful of different things earlier on, but I would love to hear a little bit more about your backstory um, behind your interest in Christian mindfulness in general. Yeah. So I don't know how far back you want to go, but I'll I'll start even further back than probably maybe you all have been thinking about. But I am Chinese American. So my paternal grandparents were practicing Buddhists. So I just want to say, when I think back to kind of that sort of history, my own family history, I even think about, wow, Uh I was kind of modeled a little bit of like meditation and just kind of thinking back through my history, right? Like, I remember my Uh grandparents would babysit me, you know, during spring break or whatever, and I would be there and my grandpa would be chanting, you know, and so I actually became a Christian in high school. And, um, and then I went into college and all that. And I didn't quite think about that until I was an Asian studies minor and started thinking a little bit about psychology and the integration of faith and, you know, mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in my doctoral studies, actually, before doctoral studies, I was a practicing psychotherapist. And so I was learning a lot about mindfulness, it was kind of really coming up to the forefront, you know, the work of Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, a mm-hmm. lot of us know about him. Mm-hmm. And he sort of westernized um, a lot of these, what we call mindfulness, but I also just saw in my family. So I began to have this question, Holly and Robert, of like, wow, what would mindfulness look like from the Christian faith? Because again, I saw it modeled in Buddhism. I saw it being very helpful at the time I was working with a lot of women who had sexual assault history and was running a group Mm. and was starting to integrate mindfulness into that group and getting training on mindfulness. And um, just noticing that that training was very either secular based or very Buddhist based, which I was familiar with, Mm -hmm. but I was thinking, gosh, as a Christian, there's a lot of prayer. There's some, you know, verses about mindfulness, but I kind of grew up, I didn't grow up, but I was sort of converted into more of an evangelical church community so just well, curious, uh-huh. right, about meditation, because it shows up, right? Like King David talks about meditation. Um, there's all these different ways to meditate. And then thinking about this training I was getting as a psychotherapist, and then thinking, wow, what what is that? So, so I actually applied to Baylor's program in the PhD program and proposed that as my dissertation, you know, research, like what uh-huh. is this integration? So that's where it all started. And um, so I could kind of look back, right, and see all these different linkages, personal, professional, and then kind of academic. And that's kind of where, you know, here I am now talking about Christian mindfulness, it being very kind of a robust, helpful intervention that we can look to that really touches on kind of, you know, your, the thesis of this podcast, right, Christianity, mental health, and how they, Mm -hmm. how they go together. That's yeah. sort of a long story, but no, no, <laughs> yeah. no, I love it. I love how you, like you were just saying, like you weave in like elements of your family um, and your own faith journey and then your practice experience. And then that's kind of all led you right up into, you know, this, this area of interest around Christian mindfulness and, yeah. um, and even the ways that you had mentioned that you were kind of looking at what was, has been done and, and, you know, as we do as uh, researchers, like figuring out where the gaps are and where yeah. we need to be stepping into. And right. Yeah. 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 No, that's good. So when you're talking about mindfulness, right, I'm curious because it, it 
sometimes can fall within the, there's like a clump of things where you go, okay, this stuff clinically, we have some research and obviously is really beneficial, but then also it ends up on the cover of the magazines as you're checking out at the, you know, the grocery store where it's like yeah. <laughs> kind of been genericized almost, right? Like falls yeah. into kind of pop psychology type stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, you know, for people listening, if we start with like, what do you mean by mindfulness in its like real, you know, pure sense? And then uh, kind of going from there, right? Like what are the, what are the benefits and stuff? But just to get kind of a, a level of ground, right? Like when you're talking about mindfulness, what yeah. specifically are you kind of talking about? Yeah, no, great question. So I'll, I'll point to Don, Dr. Dr. John Kabat-Zinn's work of, you know, it's basically present a moment awareness without judgment. And I think that without judgment piece is very important. So it's kind of a metacognition, right? How do we think about our thoughts? And then if we think about yeah, it from right. a Christian mindfulness standard, right? I think about these verses, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, your thoughts are, you know, like where God can be huh. um, accessed or he's always accessed, right? He's always present, but we yeah. can actually elevate or transcend our current thoughts or transcend our current state of emotion and mind. And when I think about thoughts, I don't just think about our cognitive thoughts. I think about mind more holistically, you know, mm-hmm. that we have, we're really integrated systems. We're body, mind, and spirit. So, you know, our thoughts are a blend of even our body state. So I'm drinking coffee right now. Um, and so my thoughts are a little bit more, um, maybe clear, but if I hadn't had coffee and I just woke up normally on this Southern California cloudy day, my thoughts would be a little muddled. And so our body has some effect on our thoughts and how are we aware of that? Right. And it's awareness without judgment. So it's not just like you said, Robert, like pop psychology of let's just be mindful and, and, and you know, right. take in kind of what we're sensing. It's like, how do we experience that state, that thought? Mm. How are we curious? How are we observing and noticing it? And I think that's a very different process than just the pop psychology aspect right. of wellness, right? Where it becomes sort of this wellness machine of one more thing that you have to right. do. Yeah, that yeah. always mm-hmm. yeah. that always turns me off because I feel like. I have, a, I have enough to do. I don't want to add uh-huh. on more, right? So yeah. Yeah. hopefully, does that summarize enough? We could get into it a little bit more, but um, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I love that you uh, you started with thoughts, but then also said it includes you know all, all this other stuff. And I don't know, I'm sure you're familiar with this, right? but when people talk about noticing your stuff, is that familiar, yeah. right? Like, and, and it's, yeah. you know, sensations, thoughts, urges, and feelings, right? Like, yeah. and so just that idea of paying attention to all of you, right? Like, what am I experiencing in this moment in a really intentional kind of way and not, you know, like you were saying, kind of like a generic, like, uh, be mindful, you know, I'm not hating on those things. I just, you know, sometimes I know stuff bleeds over into generic use and and that I think can cheapen the, you know, when we talk about stuff from like a, no, there's actually helpful things here standpoint. Yeah. Well, and I'll say even in mental health, right? So the way I like to think about using even Christian mindfulness in my work with clients is this idea of, you know, when you are experiencing maybe an intense emotion, let's let's observe and notice how it's feeling, right, in your body without judgment. Um, and that non-judgment piece, I think, is so important because mm-hmm. I think we always have 
our own sort of narrative or self-talk about what we're experiencing. Maybe someone is depressed, for instance, and they can't get out of bed, right? And they're feeling um, lack of motivation. Well, what, there's a judgment that comes in often, or they're having insomnia. I feel like I've, I'm, you know, talking to a lot of folks right now who are experiencing insomnia. Well, oh my gosh, I I'm awake again, and and then the the running narrative, right? Oh no, then I can't sleep. Then I'm not going to be able to function. Then, you know, it becomes this huge um, train, a runaway train in your mind. And so what I think what mindfulness can help us with is to notice that first. Oh my gosh, I see that this train of thought is going. And then in terms of Christian mindfulness, what I love about that is just this recognition that we are limited in our human beingness, in our humanity, that Mm -hmm. God Mm -hmm. kind of we might need God in those moments to be like, okay, I can access God's peace because my thoughts are just running away here. So I'm not going to judge them. I'm just going to give them up. I'm just going to look at them. And then let's see if I can work with it. Let's see if I can see that these feelings come and then that they eventually settle down, just even on their own sometimes. Um, we don't oh. have to act on them. We don't have to react to them. We can just, how do we detach from it? In other words, mm. yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm I'm curious. So I know that this, in a lot of ways, like you know, mindfulness. You know, sometimes when we can talk about it, and it may seem like, oh, it's this easily achievable thing for certain people, or you yeah. know, you just just pay attention to your thoughts, and it's that easy. But like, I recognize that there are lots of practices tied to it, or or ways that can kind of invite us. You started to allude to some of those, you know, even just your modeling of like, I'm drinking coffee right now and I'm aware of how this is affecting my body and my presence or my, you know, just my thoughts in this moment. But what can you give us some examples of either practices or tips or just things that that either are helpful for you or that you found in the research that can kind of invite folks to engage in this practice of mindfulness? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Holly. I think you're right. It's not like a one and done sort of thing. And we call it a practice, right? Because at least in the research that I've done, um, you know, that there's kind of, we have to talk about dosage a little bit, which is, you know, we Mm -hmm. can practice mindfulness maybe for a minute, right? It might just be like, hey, even now, like, let's just all take a deep breath in and then just notice how that breath feels hold in our body and then exhale. And that can feel really good. We can notice, right, the oxygen coming into our bodies and mind and uh, soul even. And um, in my work in Christian mindfulness, it is that. It's engaging all three, body, mind, and soul. So practices that you and your listeners are probably familiar with, like Centering Prayer, Lectio Mm -hmm. Divina, um, these kind of practices where we're not asking God in our prayers, but we're receiving, we're just kind of being still and praying, maybe even a meditative uh, thought or centering on one word or an intention. And those kind of mm-hmm. things are really helpful. Um, I'm just thinking to a study I did in right before 2020 and the shutdown, where um, I looked at people mm-hmm. who were, especially social workers, who were burnt out, and we took their mm-hmm. heart rate variability and we looked at, you know, heart rate variability, again, is kind of this measure of emotional reactivity. And um, and we, you know, ha- took a pre and a post. And I had folks listen to kind of these audio-based 
Christian mindfulness interventions that did just what I said, like body, mind, and spirit. How do you engage your body through breath, get into relaxed states, you know, activate that parasympathetic system, and then Uh go into a thought or intention and invite God in. And that's kind of that soul work. And they did that for about 15 to 20 minutes, maybe once or twice a week. And that alone was very effective an extended time. And some most of your listeners might have to build up to 15 minutes and that's okay. Uh-huh, Sometimes uh-huh. we start out with a few minutes and we're just noticing, observing. But if you keep practicing that over a period of time, and hopefully it's not something else to do on your to-do list, right? It's kind of a time of respite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's something I always talk about, like, maybe you're like cleaning up the dishes, you know, or you're doing something meditative. You can use that time and integrate it and, but I would say the research kind of shows at least 10 minutes, 15 minutes would be great once or twice a week. And then you'll see that your emotional reactivity, your ability to kind of have capacity for your whatever emotional state is ex- a little extended, right? When we think about mental health, some of it is about um, reactivity. And there's that's not supposed to be a judgmental thing, but you know we're reacting a lot of times to maybe external states or internal states. And so if we can kind of, again, detach a look at those and be kind of find equanimity in that, we might see that those emotional yeah. states are a little bit more manageable, that maybe they don't disappear, but they're just more manageable, right? That we could kind of get through the day. Um, maybe we're very yeah. anxious and we could just kind of hold it together just for a little bit longer than normal. Yeah. I like that you emphasize the practice nature of it, right? And even saying, okay, we we can start with one minute, two minutes, 30 seconds, right? And emphasizing again, like the non-judgmental part, even in that, because I think for me, most often when I've tried mindfulness, right? And and there's sometimes where I say, okay, I'll try, you know, a minute or two. And then when I notice that I've been distracted or I'm starting to think about something else, the instinct there is to then come in with some of the judgment, like, oh gosh, I can't even do a minute, right? But to even- take the same posture towards that of, oh, okay, I noticed that I, uh, you know, my thoughts were thinking about what I need to buy for dinner. Let me try and, you know, like, again, not, I don't know, the whole thing that, you know, on each layer being non-judgmental and, you know, all all of that, you know, kind of holding it with really loose hands instead of, oh, cool, here's another thing that I'm bad at that I should be able to do, right? Like, um, because I think that it's really easy to do that, you know, kind of on the second level there of, Man, now I'm I can't right. I can't even do this thing for ten or ten minutes or one minute, right? Which I think is pretty hard. It, the, in our current culture of like there is constantly stuff begging for our attention, yes. so it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We live in a very mindless culture, right? And so practicing that mindfulness, and I would just say, even just using your example, Robert, of like, okay, I'm noticing that I get in a judgmental space, even if I can't be mindful. What I love about this practice, it really gets you to, I would even say, maybe some deeper questions. I mean, just even noticing, gosh, I'm so, look at that running narrative, right? Of like, wow, I can't Uh even do a minute or two. What is that about? What am I, where am I feeling like I have to judge judge myself? Where does that come from? Where where does that voice come from? Whose voice is that? And then you can start Uh playing with that, which is you know, okay, is that God's voice? Well, how would God talk to me? He probably wouldn't talk to me that way, right? So where am I getting that? And who who does that remind you? So it's just, what I love about that process is you just start to, you know, really 
open yourself up to maybe even questioning, right? Like, gosh, where, how did I get here? Or what, what is happening? And I think that could be really fruitful then even if you're practicing mindfulness or hopefully, you know, you're engaging in therapy or, or some kind of um, healing process that you can bring that, right? And just say, wow, I noticed this, this narrative even in a mindful state. Because I will say when you're practicing mindfulness, things do come up. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. those judgments, mm-hmm. you're, right? Like you're giving space for those judgments that probably are humming in the background that you're distracted from, right? Hmm. The human beings are very, very easily seduced to kind of stay busy sometimes yeah, yeah, um, yeah, in order to not think or feel. And it's a numbing process, right? Like when we think about scrolling on, on social media, it's, it's really numbing. And so mm-hmm. mindfulness, when you're not distracted, well, what does come up? What am I feeling? What, what is the work that I need to do? And that's why I think it could be, it is such a gift to be able to s- sit there and maybe you're not sitting, okay? Here's another tip. Um, <laughs> if you can't stand sitting, do a walking mindfulness practice or like yeah. Yeah, a sweeping mindfulness. You know, the monastics are really good at this. Monastics pray all day. Well, how do they pray all day? They're not sitting in their chair. They're maybe walking around. They're doing their daily tasks. Uh, maybe they're pausing in the middle of a task. So like I said, it could be integrated. It doesn't have to be a, you know sit there, goopified, kind of <laughs> <elevated> <laughs> sense of wellness in Malibu or something. You know, you could be right. in your, you could be picking up your child and rocking them back and forth and practicing it. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. That's good. I, I I, mean, so much of what you're saying, it it does ring true to um, at least, and I've talked about this on the show before, my own practice of centering prayer that I've had for years, but it's, it is. It's, I mean, you just, you, there's, I mean, you never become perfect at it or an expert. Like, that's the whole point of it is that yeah. you keep practicing it because as things come up, as we live our lives as messy human beings mm-hmm. who have stuff that we've had to navigate and that we, you know, it, it just feels like this is one of those ways to push against that mindless culture that we are swimming in in a lot of ways and mm-hmm. and begin to protect that time that we need to reconnect with what's going on within us so yeah, yeah. so i really appreciate so much of what you had shared and even your examples and tying into some of these practices and saying that you know it's not just sitting there in a meditative state but it is like engaging and acting too so yeah yeah that's good I I would love so you you started to nod to a recent study that you did around like with social workers and mental health care providers and pushing against burnout. Um, I was I was going to ask at one point. I'm really glad you kind of walked us right into that space. But I I was going to ask a little bit about the importance of this for mental health care providers, and I'm I'm sure you could translate this to other folks too, but especially mental health care providers and. And those who identify as Christian, since so much of your work is within that Christian mindfulness space, can you talk with us a little bit about, you know, why this is so important for these providers to practice mindfulness? And maybe I think you started alluding to some of the benefits of it, but maybe kind of talking through those a little bit as well. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. I think, you know, ever since the COVID-19 pandemic, I think we've seen, right, just a need for more 
uh, sustainable mental health communities. I'll say that because I think mm-hmm. mental health providers is a broad term. And right, I think we th- often think of therapists or medical personnel, but I think there are like lay mental health um, counselors out there. But particularly, right, I think as Christians, we love to, I think, be kind of Christ's hands and feet, right? And that's that's sort of our calling. A lot of us who are Christian mental health providers um, in formal or informal ways really are, feel called. And I think that calling is so good, but it can really lead to burnout because we often, I think, especially maybe in the church, and I'm just saying broadly, the church maybe don't know how to take care of our people very well, whether it be pastors or I'll include pastors in there too, mm-hmm. because they do mm-hmm. provide a lot of mental health counseling informally, trained or not, right? right? But right. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that they do. But in general, the benefits of Christian mindfulness is, again, it's like, I think for us who have been through this pandemic, we've also been hurt ourselves, right? We've also experienced maybe trauma, Uh grief, or loss. And so I'm really concerned about the sustainability of our mental health workforce. Um, I think about that a lot in social work, right? When we think about child welfare providers, I was kind of deep in the research on child welfare workers and social work, and they're just burning out at fast rates. Community mental Uh health workers, I mean, I think the average, at least in my area, length of time for new graduates, maybe a year or two at the most, and they cycle out. Oh my out. gosh. Oh you know, it's my really, gosh. it's terrible, yeah. right? Because yeah. these are, they're serving the most vulnerable clients, right? These are marginalized, um, mm-hmm. often communities of color. So how does mindfulness help? Well, it's it's very simple. I think there's, okay, let me let me answer it in two layered ways. The first layer is, you can individually practice mindfulness and it will help you deal with the stresses of every day. And maybe the dosage needs to be a little bit higher, right? Because your caseload is big and complicated. Then I would say mindfulness gives you that mental, bodily, and soulful rest that you're longing for. And it just takes a little bit of time for you to kind of step out and remember that you're a human being, not a human doer. And that alone will help you be a better mental health provider. And so taking Mm -hmm. care of ourselves is a tool, right? I think, Holly, you talk a lot about that in your own book, but I think Mm -hmm. we need to sharpen our tool, not for if, if you're not motivated for yourself, then hopefully the motivation is for your clients, right? Because these are, they need you. They don't need you burning out. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yes. They just don't. And you're traumatized. There's a lot of vicarious trauma in the work that we mm-hmm. do. And yep. so mindfulness does help with vicarious trauma. And it helps us with kind of this unhealthy detachment and depersonalization that I think we see a lot in burnout. Part of uh, a symptom of burnout is just cynicism and feeling uncared for by the workplace. And so individually, we can take care of those. But I do think there's room for kind of what I call, and I'm kind of working on this idea now of collective mindfulness, that there's this these, these structures and systems where we have to kind of create more mindful workplaces. Yep, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting. Uh, the, one question that I did that was floating through my brain is, is a similar thing to what you were just talking about, right? Is like, okay, 
some of this is super individualized, obviously, but are there ways that we can, because we acknowledged we live in a, a culture that wants our attention all the time, right? Wants, you know, this stuff flashing and going off and, and are dinging. And so are there ways within a, a church service or an event or a, a therapy center, right? Like whoever it is to push against that in some sense, right? Like are there ways to structure it so that there's longer pauses that have some intent, you know, and obviously some people might not use that or get annoyed by that, you know, but I don't know. I was just curious about, about that kind of like you were just talking to in terms of like, we also need to be yeah. creating spaces that encourage mm-hmm. mindfulness or have space for that yes. as well. Yeah. I think of, you know, the body of Christ, right? Like I think of first Corinthians 12, where it really talks about how, you know, this, and, and this is the other thing about research. We know that we need each other. Like in our own Mm -hmm. individual practice, maybe I'm weak one day, but if, you know, you and I, Holly and Robert all together, we're practicing mindfulness together, then maybe we're leading each other because there is a process, right? In our bodies Mm -hmm. called co-regulation. So if we were in an Mm -hmm. organization, maybe that there is kind of these collective practices or times to be together. We know in the research that sometimes even in burnout, some of it is, yes, there's a mindfulness practice that can be helpful, but it's also feeling like you belong and people care about you in yep. the workplace, that mm-hmm. they treat you like a human being from top down, right? And and mm-hmm. so if you could create that sort of community. And I, one thing I've been doing a lot more of, um, and Holly and I were talking about our academic you know, year and how mm-hmm. this time of year can be really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It can be a burnout yeah. kind of time. Yes, but, yes. Yeah, one thing I've been doing, you know, in, in – the start of class, because I know my students feel burnt out and they're social work students. So they're out in the field too, is, is collectively practicing. So, you know, some of those prompts sound like not just, Hey, can you be in a mindful state? But Hey, let's think about the person next to you, their body to the right or left of you. And, and can we regulate our breaths together? Can we hold space for one another's pain or joys? you know, just in our minds, you know, they're spoken and unspoken. Some of this doesn't even have to be spoken, but that we create a sense of safety and care. Um, And I just, I get excited about that. If I've been hearing more and more about like, for instance, community mental health providers allowing their workers to take an hour to go to therapy sessions for themselves Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or maybe creating in-house, you know, hiring folks in-house just to provide that. And I think, I think we need more of that, you know, again, in our mindless world and our go, go, go kind of steady pace, high caseload kind of world, what would it look like for our leaders to be like, hey, not only do we see you, but we want to, we want to give you some space and time, right? We've been in through an era of like kind of these tech companies that are doing a lot of layoffs where they used to provide a lot of like game-based play and food situations to help workers sustain, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, these kind of. I almost feel like I'm not trying to, you know, talk bad about. It. I think it's great. I think their their intentions are good, but it's kind of these silly, right? Like silly childlike times of play. But they actually were also, you know, the reason why I think mindfulness is so popular is because they were also creating space to yeah. have these mindfulness yeah. sort of times together. I just think that that's something that we can think about in the mental health world a little bit. Why aren't we on the forefront of thinking yeah. about the mental wellness of our own workers? And why is it Google and Facebook, you know, Meta and all these other companies that are doing that? I love that. 
I lo- I I'm just gonna. I know Robert's got a question, but I just want to. Yes, yes, yes. Like one, two. Like I love what you were talking about around getting your students connected at the beginning. That's similarly something that I love doing at the beginning of classes, just to kind of help students become more present um, and grounded before we start covering content, especially content and research that you know students can oftentimes be like. Ugh. I don't want to talk about that. Um, yeah. So, so there's that. But then, just also, yeah, what you were saying around how these tech companies are kind of getting ahead in some of these areas, and I, it's like we know these things in the mental health field, um, but I think it's you know going back to some of what Robert's question was too, and just kind of naming these systems that don't support space to slow down and actually practice mindfulness because we're so we're ah i don't know i'm gonna stop myself because i'll just go on a big long train and i mean i'm like i want to part of me is like oh i don't know just pull out my book and like go back we said you were working on it some so maybe we'll uh yeah that's right so i'll pause there but um i'm gonna actually i'll pause robert you go with your question i'll stop only just uh, but i'll tell you regina just thank you thank you thank you thank you (laughs) yeah well i know you know we we recognize that that mindfulness and, and meditation things like that can be tricky for for a number of folks and i think we talked about that some in terms of you know when it's hard and and emphasizing the practice nature but even uh, specifically, uh, you know, if, you know, I'm thinking about um, survivors of trauma when, uh, you know, a sense of safety is really hard or having uh, maybe a, an, an ADHD diagnosis, right, where, okay, like it's maybe extra hard to just sit, you know. So I don't know, do you have suggestions or recommendations for folks who might experience additional layers of uh, struggle or challenge when trying to engage with mindfulness? Yeah, no, great question. You're right, because there's certain diagnosis, right, where it can be challenging. We don't want to just sit. I'm really, you know, I, I'm i a yoga practitioner. And what I really love about things like yoga or somatic-based kind of interventions mixed in with mindfulness is it, it you can have your heart rate go up while you're being mindful. And that's something I would suggest. There's things uh, like yeah. mindful dancing. Um, it's not just dancing. It's about how, you know, again, it's noticing what are my, what are the thoughts that get released? Um, the, the thing I like to talk about is I've noticed in my yoga practice, and I, I seriously do this every single time. So when I'm feeling very, very stressed out, for instance, and I can't concentrate, uh-huh. my thoughts are going everywhere, I will pull my hip flexors. I will, I will go into pigeon pose or happy baby. And there's something about that uh-huh. hip joint release for me. And I guess I was reading, it's very common for women mm. that we hold our yep. stress in our nope. hip joints, right? I've heard that too. Yep. Mm-hmm. It just works for me. So I would say, you know, for folks with a, what would be considered, right, like a differential diagnosis for thinking about, you know, mindfulness, I, I actually think it's experimenting a little bit with somatic yeah. work. You know, can you put your head below your heart and, and, do it upside down or, you know, do something where you feel comfortable and you're getting, you know, your needs met. Cause I don't, you know, there's the great thing about, I think mindfulness, it's, it's super flexible, right? You can take your mind and your observations and your metacognitions anywhere with doing whatever you want. The other thing I mm-hmm. talk yeah. about in my book is this tea drinking exercise that I love. It's kind of this. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's just a combination of my culture and my own 
practice, right, where I'm, you know, really being mindful about the mug of tea I'm holding, sipping it in a mindful way, ingesting God's grace, letting feeling that grace in my belly. So I just think as we think about maybe ADHD, it's just you don't have to sit there. You don't have to feel like it's hard work. In fact, I think the practice should feel like a release. Um, It should feel, if it's not feeling like a release, it's feeling a burden, try something else, experiment. Everyone's different, right? Every body is different. So find a practice that works for you. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I love that. And, And thinking about practices, I often think about exercising in some sense right so even the way you said start with 30 seconds and maybe then uh, you know the the same type of thing with you know if i went and tried to lift 500 pounds right now that would be way too much and it would it would be harmful to me right like so building up to that and so doing doing things that feel maybe a little uncomfortable and stretching but not so painful that you're like bailing out entirely right like some somewhere in that range in terms of you know what you're talking about yeah no i love that yeah, perfectly put. Okay. Well, yeah. one question that that we love to ask uh, folks when they come on, uh, obviously, uh, you know, with all of the research and the book and the TED Talk, and 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 it obviously continue on after the book has been published and all that, right? I'm curious, what is what's your hope for the work that you're doing? Yeah, thanks. I love this question because I I come back to it oftentimes. Sometimes it gets lost a little bit, right, in the nitty gritty. But I think my hope is okay. that people who care, who identify as Christians or maybe curious about Christian faith would see that there's practices within Christian faith of mindfulness that can be really like a release and satisfying in their soul, in their mind, and bring peace into their lives. And so I think a lot of our clients, whether we're practicing Christians or not, um, they might come with that faith. They might not be familiar as I am, you know, with Buddhist faith, or um, want something a little bit more integrated with, you know, existential questions. And I think Christian mindfulness offers that. And so that's my hope that more people will be trained in not only kind of a a secular based um, mindfulness practice, but something that really feels authentic to them. And if that's Christian mindfulness, then you could live that out in the fullness of your right your intersectional identities, you know, including faith. And I think that that's a, it's just another, um, I think a beautiful way to practice. And I guess that's my heartbeat that folks would realize the depth and the breadth and the width, right. How wide, how deep, how vast, um, Christ's love is for us and how that can be integrated in, in mindfulness in our minds and our bodies and our souls. Oh gosh, that's so good. Well, Regina, before wrapping up the episode, um, we this season we've been asking one other question for our guests who've come on. And so we are curious to hear what is serving your soul these days? Yeah, it's that's a great question. First of all, sunshine. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a mm-hmm. whiny little person whenever it's so I'm, I apologize <laughs> for whining on here. But <laughs> in SoCal, it's been raining so much. And the part of the reason why I live here is because of the sunshine. And so whenever it comes out, so this weekend, that's been serving my soul and my family. My family serves my soul. I love, like I said, I started out at the top just, you know, I think mm-hmm. I'm anticipating grief, but I'm also enjoying this present moment of being with my kids and still being kind of a, having a full nest. And um, 
yeah, just these sweet times. Honestly, I really love, you know, talking with people like you, Holly and Robert. These things really do. I really enjoy them. They're sort of highlights. So I would say sunshine, family, deep, good conversations. Those are serving my soul. Yeah. I love those. All of them. That's awesome. Listener, you can connect with Dr. Regina Chow Trammell through her website at reginachowtrammell.com backslash lakes. Uh, You can find her on Instagram at Regina underscore Chow underscore Trammell. And we're going to have those links um, within the episode uh, website. So you feel free yeah. to go check those out uh, on our episode website. You can also connect with the show at cxmhpodcast.com or on any social media at cxmhpodcast. You can connect with Robert at robert-bohr.com or on any social media or Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Robert Bohr. Um, you could connect with me at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at Holly Oxhandler. And we highly recommend that you go check out Regina's book, A Counselor's Guide to Christian Mindfulness. And we'll have that link as well within the show notes. But Regina, thank you so, so much for joining us yeah. um, for today's yeah. conversation, for the the deep wisdom that you offered us and our listeners, um, and just for your presence. We're really grateful mm-hmm. for you to get to be here with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners today? Uh, Just um, go with mindfulness, enjoy the peace that God offers and keep doing the good work you're doing. We, We count on you all. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH Podcast at gmail.com.